Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now here's Connie. Rose, rose tree. So look, I'm spraying my infinite love in honor of you. It's my favorite uh, spiritual spray. It's it has the scent of roses, which, as we all know, are very high vibrational. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Bowman. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. And today I'm with one of my favorite former guests, and she's back, Rose Rose Tree. She is definitely one of my faves. She was here before to talk about face reading, and it was such a fabulous and fascinating interview. I wanted to have her back to talk about another of her specialties. She has so many. So she is a teacher, and she's a healer, and she helps people harness the power of deeper perception. She's the author, as I said, of The New Power of Face Reading, which was the subject of our last podcast, and Read People Deeper, and one of my new favorite books, The Empowered Empath, which we're going to talk about today. Her work has been praised in the Washington Post, Washington Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Catholic Standard. What? (laughs) She's been on the Diane Rehm Show, The View, and she has also even done a segment on the Colbert Report. What the heck? Well, not quite. Okay, explain that. And hello, everybody. (laughs) Hello, Rose. My favorite interviewers ever. Yes, Um, thank you. What happened with the segment on the Colbert Report was that there were different interviews that went on in the Chicago Sun-Times, where I did a lot of different profiles, reading auras and reading faces, and sometimes doing, I guess, skilled empath merges. And I did one of Stephen Colbert, and... It was picked up by his team, so he did a segment with my photo, um, making fun of what I did, but also picking up points like how I had commented on his zany right angle, out-angled right ear, and things like that, and what it was supposed to mean, which was totally on target for him. So he had fun. I wasn't, though, there. He didn't dare to interview me yet well but i you, would love that that is so cool as, as you know this whole field of res which is the the short version of rose tree energy spirituality that's the field that i've helped to found with all these different skills of deeper perception and it really is not about cruelty <laughs> it's about empowering people and light and, and love yeah. and and joy and that's why i love you and i want to talk about being becoming an empowered empath because I feel like that's a personal mission of mine. But first, can you talk a little bit about your early work? I, I have never really talked to you about this on air. And I, I know you studied TM and you you go back to Maharishi. And can you just talk about that a little bit? Like how you got involved in, in this well, spiritual energetic sure. work? Sure. Um, I was a, one of the teachers of Transcendental Meditation. And I started working to help meditators in 1970. And I regularly did that as pretty much my life until 1986, when I retired from teaching TM. By the year 1990, I appreciated that it was actually a cult, and I Mm -hmm. formally exited from it. It did help me a lot 
and I learned how to be a spiritual teacher. And I was also involved in some firsts in TM teaching in the whole United States. So it was, it was a powerful background for me to do what I do now in this field. And after I left TM, I really wanted so much to continue to help people in some way that involved being what I would now call an enlightenment coach. And I was just kind of given these specialties of face reading and aura reading. And then after I'd been doing those for a few years, there was a big download. And it was very different in what I had done, Connie, because when I co-created with the divine to develop this unique system of face reading that I use, it was changing a way of doing something that had been done for 5,000 years. And when I co-created with the divine to develop the system of aura reading through all your senses, also a trademarked and distinctive system, it's not like I did the first aura reading workshops on the planet. You know, it had been going on from time immemorial. It was just a different way of doing it. But in the summer of many years ago, don't remember the exact date, but it was before this millennium, I got a massive download for about three months where every day I would be writing. And then I spent three and a half years editing that. And that was the first book in English anybody published on being an empath. That is now out of print because it is obsolete. There's been so much growth in the world. There have been many, many books published for empaths since Empowered by Empathy. And there still is not any other system like the system of empath empowerment. So it is one of my very, very favorite things that I do. And it's so interesting, Connie, how you said at the beginning how learning to become a skilled empath is personally very important to you. Mm-hmm. One of the many ways that empath skills matter in a way that's very different from the other things that I'm involved with is that it's not optional to get skills if you want to have a good life. If you're an empath, you're born an empath. About one in 20 people is born an empath. And if you're born an empath, you will suffer until you get skills. Mm -hmm. However, when you get skills, you will not suffer in those ways and you progress very rapidly. So it's not a luxury to study empath skills. And it's very important, since you know about being an empath, to study skills that actually work because sadly many of the things offered to empaths now they really don't work at all. Yeah. So, you know, is it going to be busy work or is it going to be effective? We can That's tell by just... reading your book that you believe really strongly that if if you consider yourself an empath, you need to to develop some skills to protect yourself and uh, empower yourself. So let's talk about those one in 20 people. And I have a feeling a lot of my listeners and a lot of your listeners are probably empaths. So let's talk about what, what an empath is and how to know, like what are the top 10 signs that you're an empath? Well, yeah, an empath is born with at least one significant gift for directly experiencing what it's like to be another person. Mm -hmm. And there are 15 different gifts that a person could have any one of which would qualify you for life as an empath. Which brings us to an interesting thing that you might ask yourself if if you're listening, 
And that is how you would define being an empath and whether you've defined it in that way or not. Because what's the most common way that people talk about being an empath? Quote, it's not true necessarily, but quote, an empath feels other people's feelings. Mm -hmm. Haven't you heard that idea? Mm -hmm. Well, there are two different empath gifts that do involve emotions, emotional intuition and emotional oneness. But there are two out of the 15 gifts that I've identified and that you can read about in the Empowered Empath Owning, Embracing and Managing Your Special Gifts. So there's 15 gifts, not just one. So what they have in common is that you're wired with one or more talents and you're ultra perceptive, like you know you've always been, Connie, ultra perceptive. And also there's a problem that I call imported stuff. That's a kind of energetic debris that people get stuck in the aura, stuck at the level of the subconscious mind, and it's trouble. And it happens every time somebody does an unskilled empath merge, which is what unskilled empaths Mm -hmm. do all the time. So part of becoming skilled is you learn to not be doing that and instead have your gifts turned off most of the time unless you choose to turn them off. Okay. Okay. One of the chapters... Chapter twelve, you have physical oneness listed as one of the one of the uh, gifts, and and that's sort of personal to me right now. I'm dealing with a shoulder issue, and I'm wondering if it's mine or if I have had an unskilled merge with someone else. So, how do we identify if we have physical oneness, for example? Because that seems like a pretty um, obvious one to be able to understand. Okay, Uh, there's so much of what you've asked me. Thank you, Connie. (laughs) So the first point is that it is not helpful to survey your problems and think which comes from somebody else. Okay. Now, that is an approach that some empath coaches take, and I'm very sorry that that's considered to be something that helps empaths because I will say as someone who teaches aura reading and does it, when people take an approach based on that, it doesn't help. It just, it just doesn't help. But instead, what's helpful is to know what this one gift is, and I'll define it in a moment, and what's helpful is no matter which empath gifts you have, to learn how to turn your gifts off. And when they're off, then you don't, have imported stuff from unskilled empath merges ever. So that's a very big difference from surveying messes in life and trying to figure out which particular kind of garbage came from where and is it a physical problem or did it it come from an unskilled empath merge? That's really a way to drive oneself nuts. In my opinion, not that you are, but it's just not productive. So over what the gift is, which is part of what you were asking, with this particular one of the 15 empath gifts, consciousness shifts sometimes when you're with another person and you experience in your body something that's going on in another person's body. And the imported stuff causes discomfort. And then, of course, there can be a lot of confusion because of that sort of problem. So that's what physical oneness is. Okay. And the great thing about it is that when you do skilled empath merge, you can have 
tremendously nuanced experience of what's going on in somebody else's physical body. That could be very helpful if, for instance, you are a massage therapist Mm -hmm. or you're a physician or you just want to know about it for sex. I mean, it could be tremendously useful. And a skilled empath merge, it's not just something you ooch in and out of. It's an actual technique. And I recommend you sit and you do a dedicated technique. And then you have an experience and you're totally protected while you have that experience. You know what it is. You gain the information. Then you can use it in your life how you want. And it's over. And the whole time you are you. If I can just give a quick survey of resources for empaths. Okay, oh, that would be great. Yeah, thank you, because there's four books in print now, Empowered okay. by Empathy, not in print anymore, obsolete. But book one in this series is called uh, Become the Most Important Person in the Room. It's a 30-day plan to become a skilled empath, and you just read a little short chapter every day, and within a month, 10 minutes of homework maximum, you have a level of skill. It's very rooted in being human. So that's one way that many people start off gaining these empath skills. Then the second one is the Empowered Empath Quick and Easy, which I think is the one that you have. Yes, that's And this is just a pretty skinny little book that has the most important basic concepts and skills that you can use both for first aid after doing unskilled empath merges unintentionally, but mostly many techniques to gently use your consciousness to prevent that. And then another version is an expanded edition of it. It's three times as big approximately. And this is for people who really just have a thirst to understand and want to take more time to understand the different empath gifts and the different techniques that are in this book that you can explore that involve consciousness. And consciousness might seem very abstract Mm -hmm. at first, but... Empath gifts operate with consciousness. So if you're not using techniques that involve consciousness and techniques that work to help empaths, it's not going to work. For example, a lot of what empaths do is psychological boundary work. And I wonder if you've ever tried that, for example. You know, it's like, what's mine? What belongs to somebody else? How can I define who I am? I've taken surveys when I've taught workshops for empaths around the world. How many of you have tried boundary work? And just about every hand goes up. And then I say, keep that hand in the air. Raise your other hand if it helped you much. And I might see just a few little hands start to go up and maybe a couple like. But mostly it doesn't. Boundary work helps non-empaths. It helps the three out of four highly sensitive persons who are not empaths. It doesn't help empaths because what goes on with empaths is about something that our auras do as empath, which is to embrace another person energetically super quickly. It's an unskilled empath merge. And then we come back with a little souvenir or two or 10 of pain, stuff, icky, astral, subconscious garbage. Uh And it stays with us. And that's the main reason in terms of process, why so many empaths suffer. So just the one other thing that's hopeful and exciting is that once you get comfortable just living as a person with your gifts turned off, keeping your sensitivity, keeping your sense of humor, but still, you know, you 
in your life, then there's the most fun one, which is the master empath, which is a whole compendium, a set of different techniques for skilled empath merge, like how to do this with someone from a photo, somebody in the room, even someone from your favorite YouTube video to learn about a movie star, swoony Clooney, you know, whoever you're interested in, maybe it's not George Clooney. There are other people, after all, to do empath merge with. But he is so darn cute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cute. It's so much fun to do that, and that's what it's for. The, The impact that being a skilled empath, doing empath merge, has on your life gives you such an advantage. Mm -hmm. You really appreciate what an advantage it is to be an empath when you've got the skills. Thank you so much for saying that about the boundaries, because we hear that so often. And and I feel that too sometimes. Having boundaries is just, what does that even mean? You know, um, I just came back from Yogaville and and I I was given uh, the blessing of a spiritual name. And guess what it was? You probably know what it means. Ikea, which means oneness or unity. Duh. <laughs> I thought so, it meant furniture. I, well, it's not spelled the same way. Yeah, yeah. I know everybody says that. So let's go back to the... And thank you for sharing so intimate. Yeah, and, yeah. And private is a spiritual name. Yeah, but it so kind of hit, hit home with me that, you know, that that is sort of... And then here we have this podcast to record today. So So we might as well go there. I mean, the oneness is a beautiful concept, but... It can also, as you say, be dangerous for an empath. Well, and, and let's add a little concept piece that the oneness that was talked about at Yogaville, mm-hmm. um, and it's a, that's a beautiful place. And I actually got to go there a couple times and uh, got to uh, witness Swami Satchitananda speak too, which was just oh, amazing, a magnificent being. But the oneness of a higher state of consciousness is not the same thing as physical oneness, emotional oneness, or spiritual oneness, which are empath gifts, regardless of your state of consciousness. These are just things that some empaths have been doing since birth. And I've actually read auras of babies while mom was pregnant. Because with stage three energetic literacy, or maybe you'd call it stage four, you know, the, the degree of energetic literacy anybody can learn, like reading words from a page, anybody can learn that. If you've done a little bit more, then you can do fancier things. And it's a little fancier reading a baby inside mom as energetic literacy, not a psychic reading. Anyway, yeah, I've done that. I've even read twins inside mom, the mom's aura, kid one and kid two. And it's not at all difficult to find out about whether each of the kids inside mom is an empath or not, and which the gifts are. Although I wouldn't tell a person, I wouldn't tell someone who studies with me, these are your gifts, because that would be disempowering. Sure. Instead, I have a different way of helping empaths know. But isn't that something like back when you were not just a twinkle in your dad's eye, but a little interesting kicking thing inside your mommy to be, all your empath gifts were there, as part of your soul expression for this life. So you came in with every one of your gifts. And part of the, the magnificence of life, I think, is learning how to use your potentials fully. Isn't that 
fun and a distinctive yeah. challenge for each of us. Yes, yeah. and to have the blessing of working with you as an enlightenment coach, I love that, that you're an enlightenment coach is just awesome. So if we work with you and we go through your books, we actually, just correct me if I'm wrong, there's like a little switch and we can turn the empathy off and turn it on as needed. Is that correct? Um, you're so right. The one thing I would say with language is it's not turning your empathy it's turning your empath gifts. Okay. Now, it's very common to use the word empathy as a substitute. In fact, when I published that first book in English for empaths, it was called Empowered by Empathy. It wasn't called The Empowered Empath, Owning, Embracing, and Managing Your Special okay. Gifts. I didn't even use the word empath. So why would I be surprised that just now the word empathy slipped out of, of your mouth? But empathy is something any human being can have. It's like sympathy or compassion. It's something a person can have or not use or use extra or cultivate. Being an empath, that means being a kind of person. Okay. Kind of like, if you've heard of being a highly sensitive person, sure. Sure. genius work of Elaine Aaron. Mm -hmm. Genius is not a term I use lightly, but what a breakthrough when she came up with this concept and documented it, and she's been working with it ever since. Highly sensitive person. And so you know, since you've heard of that, this is not just something you try to be. Either you're born one out of five human beings, you're born as a highly sensitive person, or you're not. It's similar with being an empath only. It's only one out of four HSPs who is an empath. And so it is something kind of like a wall switch with a light, it's turned on or it's turned off, and the default for an empath, Connie, is that all of one's gifts are turned on all the waking hours. But then when we get skill, we have the gifts turned off, and that is empowerment for an empath. Okay, okay. I love that. Can you Can tell you us the biggest mistake that empaths make? Like, what is the most common mistake that you see empaths making is it just keeping that light on <laughs> we'll leave the light on for you as the red roof in used to say yeah it's not so much like a hotel <laughs> uh, it's such an interesting question i don't usually try and clean up the messes for what people do as unskilled empaths okay but since you asked the biggest problem i think that i'd identify is working too hard in ways that do not work and ways that cannot work. And just off the top of my head, I will mention some of those if I might, yeah. just in case it encourages any of you who are watching or listening to rethink things that you've been trying to do to make your life better. So some of the things that people have been doing that do not turn off empath gifts, but instead constitute busy work, would include spraying aromatherapy fragrances to try and clean up your aura. Oh. That doesn't prevent unskilled empath merges from happening. They smell good. I've got dozens of gorgeous aromatherapy products because they're good for other things, mm -hmm. but they're not good for everything. Okay. Another thing that um, unskilled empaths do that's just busy work and a mistake if you want to get results from what you're doing as an empath 
is to fear people. Like there are expressions like, oh, toxic personalities, mm -hmm. psychic vampires, and um, energy vampires. I work in this field of helping people get help for their auras, helping people grow, and some of them even crossing that threshold into enlightenment. And I sure don't know everything. <laughs> and on the other hand, I know some things, because I do more than a thousand session hours with clients a year and have been doing that for a long time. So I want to say that as someone who knows some things and definitely has expertise at reading artists, I have never, and I mean never, encountered an energy vampire. There mm. are no okay. vampires. There are no psychic vampires. And frankly, the whole term of toxic personality is a big old mistake too. Here's why I think it comes up, and it does frighten a lot of empaths and keep empaths busy trying to avoid these. As I was mentioning a little before, there are stages of developing energetic literacy. And stage three, when you're really skilled at it, that's like being able to pick up a book or look at a screen and read words and paragraphs and make sense out of it. But it starts off with a sweet beginning which I like to call stage one energetic literacy, Connie. And with that, people pick up a vibe, get a sense about somebody, maybe see some light or some colors, or feel something going on, and it's so thrilling. It's almost like discovering sex, only different. <laughs> so when somebody starts noticing energies, there's a tendency to leap to conclusions that are not true. So I get it that someone who doesn't have much skill at aura reading, maybe has lots of other skills, you know, most of us do. Sure. And some people are just awesomely um, accomplished. But if a person just doesn't have skill at aura reading and wants to help empaths, I could see how that person might think, oh, there are problems that go on in a person's aura, and I noticed that. So I'm going to think of it that there are these toxic, scary vampire people, and they infect the sensitive empaths. And that is just not true. So you're definitely invited, if you're interested, to learn really good aura reading skills, and then you can prove to yourself by reading auras that there just aren't these vampire scary people. But another thing that I would consider a bigger priority if you were born as an empath is get empath skills that actually strengthen you. And just one other thing, since you asked about the big mistake, the biggest mistake, and to me it's one mistake, is all day long grounding and shielding or working with your energies. Please cut that out if you've been doing it because it is counterproductive. It winds up being like one of those cures that's worse than a disease and it never stops unskilled empath merge. Hmm. So there's a long answer. That is a long answer, but it's very comforting to know that there that people aren't inherently bad or or negative necessarily. But you know, and and then what a time waster, <laughs> what a time drain to do all of that uh, aura you, clearing you and, and stuff. You know, so. you can smile and laugh about it, mm -hmm. and it's true. In in a way, it is funny, but in a way, it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. because it's like doing boundary work. So many talented empaths have worked really hard at doing these things that don't work. And I mean really, really hard. And then they think there's something wrong with me. 
And there was never anything wrong with them. They were just, it's like trying to drive and use a horse and buggy and the horse is lame. And now we have highways. Yeah. 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 Take a sip of tea. You've been talking a lot. (laughs) I want to, um, I, I feel like we've pretty much established that there are a lot of empaths out there waffling around, not doing maybe the best that they could for themselves and empowering themselves until now, until now we have you. This is a serious topic. It's a topic where it's going to take some thought and some active curiosity. And it is part of each of my three basic books for empaths to learn about the different kinds. The best way to do that, Connie, is to sit down and thoughtfully go into a page or three about each one and have some quiet and ask yourself, has this kind of thing been happening? Okay. Let me give you an example of one other empath gift, just so that you have some contrast with physical oneness. Okay. And that way, those of you who are listening, you can start thinking about, is that something I might have? You might have it, you might not. Um, you used um, that sweet, literally to the nose sweet example of, of spraying in something to put a good feeling and good smell into the air, which aromatherapy products definitely do. Whether they do other things depends on how appropriate it is for you and your particular system and the purpose. But still, you're reminding me of the empath gift called plant empath ability. Hmm. So what is that? Okay. Okay. Interesting. If you have this gift, you in life are able to understand in a deeper way than most people what a particular plant or flower is good for. And this is, first I'll tell you the beautiful part, then I'll tell you the annoying part. Huh? Mm-hmm. So the beautiful part is it could inform gardening. It could inform how you take care of your house plants. It's a wonderful talent to have. But what's the annoying part before you have skill? that you can be in a place where there's a plant that's not doing well. Like maybe, has this ever happened to you? You go visit your friend Gladys, and she has a lovely bouquet um, on a counter. At least once it was a lovely bouquet, (laughs) and now a lot of those roses are dead. They're not just cut, they're dead. (laughs) And she, not being a plant empath, doesn't notice but you could be, they could be hidden behind a screen. And if you're not a skilled empath and those deadish flowers are in the room, you can hear and feel them screaming. Wow. I definitely don't have that. <laughs> or, you know, That's like, oh, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Something. Wow. Their discomfort, because if you're not skilled yet, You're wide open all your waking hours with all the sensitivity out there. And you wind up getting imported stuff in your own aura because you've done unskilled empath merge with the plants, with the flowers. 
see uh, it's it's like you can feel as though speaking of who am i anyway mm-hmm. remember you were talking about that unskilled empaths get a very distorted sense of who am i it's like before i gained these skills i thought of myself if you would ask me back in the day who are you as a person i would have said i'm really very neurotic and and terminally fucked up and i have sad hopes and prospects in life although i do my best but that's not my sense of self anymore and a lot of what made me believe and experience that i was a big mess and nothing i do seem to help is just that i had a lot of empath gifts and they were turned on all, all the time and i was constantly getting imported stuff and when this garbage gets into a person's energy field it's not like we get this little memo like news crawl on the bottom of the cable tv show instead we just feel bad or we have worries that won't stop things like that and it could be just because of the gift of being a plant empath mm-hmm. so it's important and i hope that that is a good answer to yeah. what you yeah. want me to tell you about. yeah that's a good example and i i want to get to what it's like to be a skilled empath in in just a minute but i'm wondering if i have a couple questions okay is there a distinction between a codependent and an empath because they sound very similar um in a lot of ways you know that's another another uh label that people put on people who are who care about someone else is there can you can you create that yes distinction so for us? you asked me <laughs> so um codependent behavior means that a person has skills that are lacking about how to communicate it could mean that a person has stuff in that person's aura that predisposes the sense of identity to be weakened until the person gets help and here i just want to pause to say again about this field of res that there are many kinds of stuff that have been identified and in this field of res stuff means stored emotional and energetic debris at the astral level within a person which is a level that corresponds to what in psychology is called your subconscious mind mm-hmm. so there's lots of different kinds of stuff that we can't discern with the conscious mind instead there are problems and in res there are skills not just our reading skills but energy healing skills for this age of awakening so a practitioner in this field we can identify which kind of stuff is the biggest problem at the time and then there will be a dedicated skill set to heal it okay. so i have helped many 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 people as have people i've trained in this field helped so many people who were acting codependent who considered themselves codependent and it was one problem here another problem there it could have been about some cords of attachments it could have been about some frozen blocks there's many things that create a problem like codependency but where it gets confusing for empaths is not just cuz empaths can have 
imported stuff that could distort behavior, but also because when people talk about their experiences consciously, like you and me having this conversation, or those of you who are listening or watching, when we do that, we do our best to talk about it in terms of relationships and actual things, but there are these subconscious things that are impacting us a lot. So a lot of the times when people talk about, I'm confused about who's the other person and who is me, hearing that, a person might interpret it as codependence, but it's really, the cause is not codependent behavior. Codependent behavior might even be absent. The whole sense of identity will get stronger when a person becomes skilled as an empath and other kinds of helping will work too. Just a related point, you didn't exactly ask for this, but it kind of surprised me when it came up, and maybe it'll be interesting to you too, that when I do our reading research for people, one of my favorite little specialties is that there are people who are my clients and students who are mental health practitioners, mm -hmm. psychiatrists, clinical psychologists, licensed clinical social workers, counselors, and sometimes, Connie, big treat for me and helpful for them, they will have a session where my job is to do our reading on some of their patients or clients and tell the mental health expert what's actually going on. What's going on at the level of chakra data banks? What's going on with sense of identity? What's going on with emotional stability? Because even with all those skills that the mental health expert has, which I don't because I don't have any of those degrees, it's possible with energetic literacy to find out. And they find that useful. So if those of us who are not mental health practitioners have trouble telling apart being an empath from codependent behavior, you can imagine how weird it could be for a mental health practitioner to ask for help to do that. Because the skills don't necessarily make it as clear as just what's going on in the person's aura. Yeah, yeah. Surprising? Yeah. Interesting? Yeah, weird? it is interesting, weird, and confusing in so many ways. But thank you for talking about that. <laughs> that was just a question of mine that came up when, when I knew I was going to talk to you. Um, so I would like for you to describe what it's like for those of us who aspire to be skilled empaths. What is it like to go through your day as a skilled empath? Just a regular day, not necessarily as you do work with clients or, or you know, doing workshops or anything. What is a what is a regular day for a skilled empath feel like? A regular day? Nobody ever asked me that before. <laughs> it's such a great question, Donnie. Um, a regular day, you get up. I, the empath gets up. Eh, I'll just say me. I'll put aside, you know, okay. working. I get up, and it's a new day here at Earth School. And <laughs> you haven't said Earth School once yet. I'm so happy you finally said it. I love that you call this Earth School. We talked about that you. in the last podcast. So, you know, whatever you call it, you call it Virginia, or maybe not. <laughs> I like I Earth would School. call it Virginia, where yeah. I live. So, you get up, and you wash up, you do the normal human things, and you just go through your day as you. Okay. And the okay. sense of self is strong and not freaky 
And there's no work that it takes to have the sense of self. You're just you. During any given day, you have technique time. At least I'd recommend anybody who wants to grow a lot in life, which would include me, um, schedule 20 minutes like by the clock or the timer, and you're doing whatever spiritual practices or energetic practices you like, and doing skilled empath merge could be part of that. Doesn't have to be. Many skilled empaths don't even bother learning skilled empath merge. So you just go through the day and you're you. But it is such a contrast to before. Let, let me give you an example. Okay. okay. You were talking about Yogaville before. And one thing I did this year that has been a real highlight is that I went to the Kennedy Center and I saw a musical called Beautiful, mm-hmm. which is based Carol King. on, on Carol King's story, mm-hmm. part of her story. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing Swami Satchitananda talk about how Carol King gave the money for Yogaville. And she offered it and he said no. And he, he just didn't think it was appropriate to get it, the money that way, I guess. And plus, he was a renunciate. And then she said, oh, come on. Why won't you take my money? <laughs> and he agreed. So that's where the money came for that wonderful place where you went. Anyway, it's a great musical. I recommend if you have a chance to see it, go see Beautiful. And um, I went to see it. And I went through the whole show. It was very long. And I laughed. And I teared up. And... When it was over, I realized what had not happened. What had not happened is that I never had this experience that back in the day would always happen when I went to the theater or I would go to an opera or a concert. What used to happen is I'd get into it and I'd start thinking, what's it like to be this singer? What does that conductor feel like? I wonder what it's like to be that person. And then a whomp. I'd have these very dramatic, vibrant emotions and other experiences, spiritual experiences, etc. very not dramatic in terms of information, but just I would be shaken and it wasn't really me, but I didn't know. And then I'd come back to myself and it, that used to be for me what it meant to go to a performance. Mm-hmm. And every time I would do that, which... Technically, you can read about, maybe you did, it's called prolonged unskilled empath merge. Mm -hmm. Whenever that would happen, and that was part of every day for me for years, it was destabilizing for me later. It's like I would pay for that little rush and that bit of variety. Pay physically, emotionally, spiritually, the whole system. Every which way. Being thrown out of whack with imported stuff that always happens from any kind of empath merge that's not skilled. So a day in the life for me now, like I realized at that at the Kennedy Center, I could just watch a play. Wow, we're like a normal person. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's that's it. It's it's a lot more normal. You have in your book, you have so many ideas for techniques, and it, and you do have as you say, a layered approach to getting there. But one of them, I was curious as to whether you could just kind of give us a little preview of the vibe, raising breath. I love that idea that we can raise our vibration just with the breath and um, just wondering if I'm doing it right. Can you give us just a little preview of that? I'm so sorry. To (laughs) me, Connie, techniques that move consciousness are sacred things. 
Okay. And I don't give out tastes like you go to Costco or Sam's Club oh. or Whole Foods okay. and somebody says, here, I like you, have a little part of a cookie. In general, one of the things that's happening, I think, is that many people want to just sample and taste and they get excited. Now, I know you're serious about gaining empath skills mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. I want anybody who's watching this podcast to learn properly when you learn and not just sample. And I would even go so far as to say, please question anybody who wants to give you a sample of something that's spiritually powerful or deep emotionally healing because it's not responsible to do that. Okay, I, I totally respect that. I, um, I just wonder if someone can really get the full benefit from reading the book and not actually working one-on-one -on -one with you. I mean, is, is it possible? Oh, sure. In fact, okay. Okay. at the end of that book, mm -hmm. there are 10 stories by skilled empaths mm -hmm. who became skilled by From using people all over the world. Become, yeah, it's amazing. The most important person in the room, yeah. and you can read those ten stories. You can sample those stories. You know, okay. you, I think you can sample them at Amazon.com if you want. You know, open it up to the end and and read some of those stories. They're examples. Of course, people can. In good conscience, how could I offer a self help book that would not work? There are things that I do not teach in self-help books, like things that are exclusively for people in my mentoring program, because it wouldn't be responsible, because gotcha. people couldn't learn it that way. Okay. But okay. this, oh, yes, you really can. And um, it's not that hard. You just take a few minutes a day with any of those three foundational books, and, and you'll get it. You can, and you'll learn in a systematic way. And if somebody just wants a little taste, person can pick up a book and get up to a certain point and play with it and decide whether to go further. But that's different from taking something that could be a really useful technique and saying, okay, I'll play with it a little bit. Whoops, missed that one. Well, for, me, on, for, me, uh, for me, and I'm sure this is just me, but I have a hard time with online courses, for example, in college, I just don't think I would do well with it. I, I like the one-on-one, -on -one, the professor, the enlightenment coach experience. Um, and, and a book is great, but I still feel like for something like that, I would need more of a one-on-one -on -one experience or a... Mm -hmm. Well, you so. know, sometimes a person like you does have a session with me for mentoring. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. And I am starting up my workshop schedule for next year. And I am in the process of offering my first teleseminar, which is about Enlightenment Basics. And there will probably be some teleseminars that I offer later. But meanwhile, I just do the best that I can to bring this knowledge in the world. I think by far the easiest of my three books for empaths is number one in the series, Become the Most Important Person in the Room. Okay. Because okay. One little short chapter a day, and you do a tiny bit of homework. And if you're at all able to learn from a book, you will learn from that book. And it's just the best that I can do, Connie. Okay. okay. Well, Getting the message yeah. out there is so important. So um, you say that all the gifts that the empaths have ultimately are linked 
to a spiritual mission or spiritual service. Can you talk about why we're here, the empaths that are here? If there's only one out of 20, what are we here to do? Which leads to, you know, why it's even more important to become skilled empaths. You just have all these great questions. You may not like learning from books, but you ask some of the best questions ever. Oh, well. Yeah. I'm just curious about that. mind really comes with good questions. So um, that's such a deep question. I, I guess... Mean, are we all the, healers? Are we all teachers? Are... I don't go in either of those directions. I don't think we're all anything. <laughs> Each of us is unique, but for those of us know who you are empaths, well, it's just so fascinating you're asking this question because here's something you might not have thought about with all the many things you've done between the Yogaville and empath exploration and everything else, Connie, the face reading. You remember back like long ago <laughs> in December of 2012, there was so much talk about the end of the Mayan calendar mm-hmm. and the start of a different age. You remember that time? Mm-hmm. And there were surveys, something like one in 10 people worldwide thought that a big deal was going to happen and maybe the world would even end. It was hard to, it's hard to imagine now or remember how wrought up people were about that time and December 21st 2012 came and went and a lot of us thought well so but something really important did happen I'm convinced it was the start of what I call the age of awakening you know you could call it the age of Aquarius but I'm not an astrologer. That that just doesn't resonate for me. Plus, I was, you know, into the original hippie, hippie days when people started using that term. And this is right. not like right. the 1960s and 70s. I promise. <laughs> so um, what happened with this different time in world consciousness is such a big deal that it's extraordinary. You catch it. If you read auras, then, and of course that's the work I do, then it's easier to tell with full energetic literacy what's going on. Basically, what has happened is that there are these three kinds of vibrational frequency here at Earth School. They've always been here, but something very different has happened with them. So may I go into this a little bit? Yes, thank you. All right. So there are the human vibrational frequencies, a whole bunch of them, but it's just like being a human being, noticing objective reality. There's lots and lots of variety and and refinement possible or grossness possible, but it all counts as human, like a dog is a dog, Mm -hmm. whether it's a super fancy um, manicured poodle bred through centuries or this really mangy, wild mutt. There's human frequencies. Then there's also the divine frequency, just one vibrational frequency. In psychological terms, it corresponds to your higher self. It's within you, and there's also the divine in everyone. 
it's present on Earth, but it's not the same as the human frequencies. Okay. Still making sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, goody. And then the biggest range of frequencies is astral or psychic in nature. And that includes your entire subconscious mind, which you know is vast. And it includes spirit guides and angels, not archangels that are, are the divine frequency, but many kinds of angels. And also it includes those 15 kinds of stuff in RES and other ways that people are trying to help clean up the astral mess and subconscious mess that people have until they move into enlightenment. So these three vibrational frequencies, that part is making sense still? Mm -hmm. okay. So here's the big deal thing that changed that just clicked in with the start of this age of awakening on earth right until then there had always been something that is called the psychic barrier or you could call it the veil and for centuries this had been getting smaller and smaller and smaller leading up to that click into this age of awakening like if you studied with spiritualists like when i went and taught at the college of psychic studies many times and in england teaching workshops there in london you know you think of some lovely old spiritualist saying oh mud the veil is thinning you've heard that kind of expression yes, right yes, yes, yes of the veil well it's actually a real process that's been happening and what does the veil or psychic barrier do? What it used to do, because we don't have it anymore. But what it used to do was make it hard for ordinary people like us to experience astral or divine frequencies. People used to have to work very hard at it, Connie. Now you and I, we, we incarnated. Like anybody listening here, we chose to live now during this amazing shift into this age of awakening when there's no psychic barrier anymore. And it's a big deal for evolution. This is why millions of people can move into an enlightenment and do it even as householders, something that has not happened on earth before. It's an amazing time in terms of consciousness on earth. But adjusting to this is a big job for us. And I am working my way over to your answer. Just, I'd like to give the full answer, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with this shift, those of us who incarnated as empaths, there have probably never been so many empaths on earth before. I have no way of that, verifying that, but... I'm pretty sure it's special for the time we live in now, just like having skills for empaths is new. I started to say before that bringing in face reading secrets, bringing in aura reading through all your senses, these were more contemporary ways of doing these things that involved co-creating with the divine, but they were not firsts in human life. When I edited Empowered by Empathy, that first book for empaths. It was an experience unlike anything I've ever had in this life because it felt like this was something new coming into the world. Hmm. I would edit that book in the morning when I was fresh 
And then I would fall asleep into like deep, snoring, exhausted. It was just amazing. Three and a half years of that. Because you were bringing through those higher frequencies. And into the world. Not just Mm -hmm. out there somewhere, Mm -hmm. but into the world. Into this 3D. The background I had in TM, the, the years when I would meditate for hours and hours a day doing advanced techniques helped me have enough consciousness so that I could do that. Plus, I just happened to have the fortune to get the job, you know. So where we are now, number one, energy is the shiny new toy for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about energy, noticing things with energy, and with usually stage one energetic literacy. So there's a lot of confusion about it. And yet many people, unlike you, many people are kind of resistant to having anybody tell them anything. It's the weirdest thing. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of fear still, I think, around. There's fear and just like, well, I can figure it out for myself. I, Mm -hmm. I see a color. I know everything. Don't you dare tell me that there's more to learn. Sometimes a little pride could get in the way for now. But anyhow, it's important that there are people who do have skills, and I'm sure not the only one who's got some kind of skill for energy healing in this age of awakening. Empaths, we have come in by the millions because empaths have the ability to be real leaders at this time, Connie. Because when we do skilled empath merge, the knowledge and wisdom we have is not something other people can do. I don't want to sound snobby because there's plenty of other games in town. There are plenty of people who have extraordinary abilities where I would be a total doofus. And I don't even know what some of those things are, frankly. But everybody has a role to play, not just one possible thing. No, we're not all healers and we're not all teachers. And I would really question the sagacity of anybody who generalized like that. Okay. Okay. But when it comes to being an empath, every one of us has the ability to gain this almost uncanny, super accurate, very detailed information about what it's like to be someone or a plant or a crystal or an animal, depending on what the gift is. This extraordinary knowledge that then we can use in conjunction with other skills, whether it's acting or writing or healing or being a car mechanic, that we can bring a level of finesse that is so appropriate to this time when, no, it's not like the subconscious is becoming conscious for everybody. It's not like noticing energies is going to be a really cool new substitute for being human. It's dangerous to do that. It's good to notice energies for 20 minutes in the day, technique time. It is not helpful in my experience to be doing it all day long. It leads to big problems. But emphasizing the human and adding that wisdom, that knowledge, and bringing it into this world with other things that we do, we have a very important role to play. And so to be an empath living now in this new age of awakening is just an extraordinary privilege and opportunity. Oh, you make it sound so exciting. You make it sound so good. So we're smoothing the way through this this shift of the ages, I guess you would say. So, well, I, I, I mean, 
I have so much more to learn, and I'm so intrigued, and I want the thicker book, so I'm going to have to get it. Uh, for more information about working with you, reading your books, doing your workshops, just getting more from Rose, Rose Tree and all you have to offer, where can we go? Thank you for asking. I recommend my website, which is called roserosetree.com. Okay. And there's also a blog you can get to off of there where I spend a lot of time doing community service work, even though I've never been arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Karma yoga. Karma yoga. To mentor that whole community. Sure. And we passed, since the last time we spoke, you and and, and I spoke, Connie, there's now more than 26,000 comments there. Wow. And another thing that I do just for empaths that's also free, that can be a helpful resource, is a Facebook group called Empath Empowerment Skills. And this is very different from other groups for empaths that you'll find on Facebook because this is with that trademark system of empath empowerment. So I don't teach workshops at my blog or on the Facebook group because I want to do it in a way that honors the source and what this can do. But on the other hand, if you want to invest a little time and get a little ebook or paperback, you can get the skills completely if you're able to learn from a book. <laughs> you really can. Awesome. And it's worth it's worth doing for yourself and also to help other people. Thank you so much. And I hope you'll come back and maybe talk a little bit more about aura reading because you touched on that. And that's another fascinating subject that I think a lot of people would would like to hear about. But until next time, namaste, Rose Rose Tree. Thank you so much. You too, everybody. Thank you so much. All right. Have a A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy in paperback kindle and audiobook at amazon.com for more information visit backtohappybook.com